But Babylon is also uh, indicted for killing God's people. We see that she not only deceives God's people, but those who she can't deceive, she kills. Verse 23, in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who have been killed and slain on earth. The Babylon of this world is indicted for killing God's people. And her indictment is so great that it's as if she's responsible for the, the murder of all the earth. In any of the people, if any of the people of God are tempted to fall for the deceptive lures of Babylon, friends, just remember, Babylon is no friend of God. It's an enemy. And the two ways, the city of God and the city of, of Babylon, cannot go together. She opposes the people of God by even killing them. And therefore, God decrees her doom. So far, in verses 1, 2, and 3, and verses 21 to 23, we have considered what Babylon will become. And for the reasons reviewed here, Babylon will be like a prison, like a city to be found no more. This is the doom that God decrees against the city. But in light of this doom, God issues a call to evacuate. God issues a command to get out of the city before it's too late. Look at, let's look at point two of, of this passage, motivations to help us heed the call. In light of the announcement of Babylon's destruction, John hears a voice from heaven issuing a command. Look at verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. A similar command was given in the Old Testament when God announced the destruction of the physical city of Babylon. You can read more in Jeremiah 51. There's a number of places in that chapter where the similar language appears. Let me just give you one verse, Jeremiah 51, 45. God says, go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Both in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation, the city of Babylon has been issued a decree of doom. And now God says, my people, get out of her. Save yourself from the destruction that is coming upon her. So what should God's people do when they hear this call? What does it mean to, to get out of Babylon? What does it mean to separate ourselves from the city of this world? This is the primary application of this chapter. Get out of Babylon. But what does that mean? To call, the call to get out of Babylon does not mean to physically have to separate ourselves from this world in the way that Amish communities would seclude themselves and live in their cloistered communities away from as much contact with the world as possible. It's not even uh, lived out by uh, the call to go to a monastery and, and seclude yourself from, from living in this world physically speaking and in the, in the society of this world physically speaking. The separation from Babylon refers to something else. And that something else is clarified by the command that follows or by, by the nuancing, by the motivation that follows in verse 4, lest you take part in her sins. The reason why God calls people to get out of Babylon is so that they might not take part in her sins. This phrase could be translated as, in order that you don't partake and participate in her sins. What this means is that getting out of Babylon 
refers to separating oneself from the rebellious ways and the sinful ways of that city. To get out of Babylon means turning away from the sinful practices of our society. It means to cut off ties with those who influence us to continue to live in our sins. Now, friends, if you are a Christian, are there any ties that you need to cut off in your life as a means of showing that you are separating yourself from Babylon? Consider your way of life. Consider the particular sin struggles, the particular sinful practices that you might have fallen for and, and continue to live in. Are there certain practices that you need to cut off from your life? Are there certain people that you need to disassociate from and say no to? I remember a year ago talking to a couple um, in our church who at that time began attending our church and since then have become members here. And they have shared with me how when they had become Christians just a few years prior to that, they, had, they used to live for the world and, and live for themselves and for the success of this world. But then when God saved their hearts, when God saved them and changed their hearts, they found themselves no longer enjoying the same things that their old friends enjoyed. And they shared with me how slowly they began feeling less comfortable and wanting to find time less and less to spend with those old friends because the things they used to enjoy together, they are no longer enjoying. And that process began a, a, an act of separating themselves from these friends with whom they no longer had in common the sinful practices, the, the self-centered practices. It's a sign of, it's just an illustration of what it means to separate ourselves from, from the world. The call of salvation has this effect upon us. It calls us to come out of Babylon so that we no longer participate in her sins. Friends, are there any ties that you are refusing to break off with Babylon? Are there any practices that you are holding on to and refusing to let go? Have you considered that the road out of Babylon is a road of careful and growing obedience to God's word so that we no longer participate in the sinful practices of the city, of this world. The second motivation why to get out of Babylon, the first one was so that we don't participate in her sins. The second motivation is so that we don't participate in her plagues. Did you see the second lest in this, in this verse? Lest you share in her plagues. In other words, if God's people ignore the call to get out, they will share in, her sin, in Babylon's sins. And therefore, they will also share in Babylon's plagues. To continue to participate in Babylon's rebellion makes us share in her plagues and destruction. Friends, God is giving the warning of the destruction of the city to his own people who might be tempted to stay in Babylon, to continue to cultivate those relationships. To choose not to get out is like signing your own doom. God says, don't do that, my people. Get out. Verses 6 through 8, we see more motivations for coming out of Babylon. The people of God get to hear the decree of Babylon's doom. In verse, verses 6 and 7, pay back as she herself has paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And she, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. The 
the angel uh, pronounces this doom. And the language of receiving double for her deeds is repeated several times in these verses and needs some explanation. Uh, some might think that the language here refers to paying back Babylon the double amount of her sins. That's one way to translate, but that's not the only way to translate. And in my view, it's not the likely way to translate this verse. The language of paying double could also be translated as uh, paying a duplicate or receiving a, a duplicate or the equivalent. This means that God is rendering a punishment that is duplicate to the crime. It matches the crime perfectly. The point here is that God is decreeing a judgment against Babylon that matches her crime. Just as Babylon's rebellion and corruption was portrayed through drinking the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality, now God's decree of judgment uses the language of preparing another drink for Babylon. It says mix a double portion. Mix a, in other words, mix a duplicate portion for her in the cup she mixes. Double up what she does. Double it up with my judgments. And my judgments are going to be matched exactly what she has done. And the duplicate judgments of God will be to do the exact opposite of her desire to live in luxury. Instead, she will live in torment and mourning. Note this Babylon's attitude in verse 7. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. What confident words these are. Uh, by the way, these are words similar, uh, used similarly by the physical city of Babylon in Isaiah 47, verse 8 and 9. Babylon here is boasting that she will never experience mourning. But as one Bible interpreter points out, such a claim to eternal freedom from mourning belongs only to the city of God, only to God's city, the new Jerusalem. Babylon cannot provide this freedom for her people no matter how loudly she boasts that she will provide it. What is God's opposite for Babylon's boast of such eternality? The exact opposite of that is, look at verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burnt up with fire. The mighty, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Notice the, the, this language that's used often in, in, in this verse and later, in a single day. In other words, if Babylon boasted in its confidence of never experiencing loss, God's judgment takes form the exact opposite of that, which is ex not only experiencing loss, but experiencing it immediately. In other words, God will bring Babylon to ruin, not with a slow decline, but with a sudden, sudden turn of events. This means that for those who are hesitant to separate from Babylon because they say, listen, it's going so well. Like this thing will never go down. I mean, we have no signs of this thing starting to decline. This is going well. If we're going to see signs of decline, then perhaps we're going to start thinking about it. It's like businesses who evaluate 
how well they're doing by evaluating their quarterly reports of how well the business is doing that year. God says when he's going to bring down Babylon, there's going to be no warning signs. There's not going to be warning signs of slow decline. It's going to come all of a sudden. It's going to happen in a single day. It's going to come in a single hour. There will not be time to decide then. Oh, let's evacuate. We need to evacuate now. Because when the doom will come, it will come so suddenly that no one will have time to evacuate. Oh, friends, don't count on your ability to flee Babylon's destruction when you see the signs of it slowing down. The signs will never come. If Babylon looks appealing and successful in the present time, don't delay leaving out now, for her destruction will be sudden. And then there's another motivation why to leave, why not to wait. And it's presenting the lament of those who will see Babylon's destruction. If any of us might be tempted to think, well, this is just pie in the sky. This is just propaganda to, to try to get people to change their behavior. Here's a, a final set of, of, of evidence to motivate us to heed the call to get out. And the, 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 the evidence is a list of laments from the people moving forward in time who will have experienced the fall of Babylon. The lament of those who see Babylon's destruction. Some people may not, may not be convinced that they want to get out of Babylon. They might fear, I'm not sure if it's worth getting out of Babylon now. I mean, look at, if I, get, if I, if I cut ties with this world, I may be on the losing side. I may, be, I may be missing out on what I can get in this life. And some people will not want to leave Babylon now because of the fear of what they're going to lose. The largest part of this chapter is describing the lament of those who have chosen not to leave Babylon in time. And it's a lament that starts with the king's. And that moves on to the merchants. And that moves on to those who are, were craftsmen on the seas. For those among us who fear that separating ourselves from Babylon will bring us loss, the laments of verses 9 through 19 are aimed to show us that a deeper loss is in store for all those who continue to participate in Babylon's way of life. And the loss of those who weep, who, the loss of those who keep investing in Babylon would be very tragic and very deep. In verses 9 through 19, we see three categories of people who are offering their lament for Babylon's destruction. The kings of the earth, verses 9 and 10. The merchants of the earth, verses 11 through 17. And the shipmasters and the sailors, verses 17 and 18. I love how one Bible interpreter said about it. The portrayal of the grieving kings and merchants shows that loss will come. And that placing one's trust in the seemingly invincible city is a tragic mistake. In these cries of the lament, the kings, the merchants, and the shipmasters all stand at a distance from Babylon. It's interesting that it is now that they stand at a distance from Babylon. But it's too late. It's too late. They should have, they should have gotten out much earlier. But because they didn't, because all their investments were related to Babylon, here they are, mourning 
not only the loss of Babylon, but mourning their own losses. The loss of Babylon is their loss as well because their investments and trading has been related to this great city. And their deep lamenting shows the depth of their attachments to those riches. Friends, what we lament about shows what we have treasured. And the long and the detailed description of these laments show that the people of the earth have invested way too much of their hearts and of their dreams, of their hopes and of their identities in Babylon's resourcefulness and in Babylon's life. A part of their unfaithfulness to God and of their spiritual prostitution has been manifested through their pursuit of wealth as the goal of their lives. To be consumed with materialism, to be consumed with the accumulation of earthly goods is a form of spiritual prostitution. That's what these merchants have done with Babylon. But Babylon will let them down because Babylon will experience God's judgment. Now, friends, you might say, well, how does this affect us? Is this really for us or is this just for the merchants of the world? Let's go back to the seven churches of Revelation. Remember the last church, the church of Laodicea? It was a church that received its sharpest criticism from Christ. You know, do you remember why? Because it boasted in her riches. And it depended on them for their well-being. The criticism of Christ brought against the church in Laodicea shows that the church was heavily dependent on Babylon's riches rather than on the riches that come from Christ. So Christ was about to spit them out. This shows that the temptations for being attached to our materialism are a snare, not just for the merchants of the world out there, but even for the people of God, even for the churches. The long list of 28 items of goods that is described in this chapter helps us to see the magnitude of Babylon's wealth. In these cries of lament, the various aspects of wealth are, are described for us to, to see how, how, how diverse her wealth has been. And yet, in contrast with that diversity of wealth, what we have is this phrase that Babylon's doom came in a single hour. Her rich resources are, are contrasted again with the language of their sudden loss. That's a language that, that's used in each of these laments. How in a single hour, how in a single day, the doom of Babylon has come. Friends, it may take a long time to accumulate material possessions, but it can take only a short time to lose them all. And that's Babylon's story. And that is the story of anyone who continues to invest in Babylon. After seeing the picture of what Babylon will become, after receiving the command to get out of the great city and seeing the great lament of those who whose lives were attached to Babylon, this text closes with a third point, which speaks about our attitude to this message of doom. The right heart posture, the third point, the right heart posture for this message of doom. We have been exposed to the response of the people of the earth to the destruction of Babylon, lament, deep lament, tragic lament. But God commands his people to respond differently. 
Instead of lament, they're commanded to rejoice. Look with me to verse 20. After 10 verses of lament, describing the lament of the people of the earth, God says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. In other parts of Scripture, we are told and commanded to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. But when it comes to the news of Babylon's destruction, the people of God are told to rejoice when the world mourns and laments. So while the world laments and mourns Babylon's destruction, the people of God are called to have an opposite response, an opposite heart posture, and that is to rejoice in the judgment of Babylon. The command to rejoice is given both to heaven and to God's people. And what we see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 19 is exactly that. We see a great multitude in heaven rejoicing in God's judgment and salvation. Look at verse 1 and 2 in chapter 19. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. It's not only the great crowd that sings a song of praise and, and rejoicing, but the 24 elders and the four living creatures by the way, which we have met in Revelation 4 when we were introduced to the throne room of God, they now appear again and now they too are rejoicing and they're singing, Amen. Hallelujah. Do you see how heavenly beings are closing this message of Babylon's judgment with the words, Hallelujah. Praise. Heaven itself rejoices. Of, at the news of God's, of, of God's judgment of Babylon's destruction. The people in heaven, God's people in heaven, rejoice at the news of Babylon's destruction. The question comes, will God's people on earth rejoice at the news of, God, of Babylon's destruction? Can you join in the heavenly joy that celebrates God's judgments against Babylon? Or is there some lingering thought that God's judgments against Babylon may not be fully fair. What if we should have pity against Babylon at this point? Well, friends, if that's where you are inclined to go, consider again in this chapter the many verses that describe Babylon's sins and her corrupting influence to move people away from the worship of God. Friends, if you can't rejoice now in the news of Babylon's future doom, it will be hard to separate from Babylon. And, and even if you try to separate from Babylon, you may try to do it with a grumpy attitude, regretting the loss, like Lot's wife left Sodom, with a desire to, to look back. And, and think of the regret of the loss of the destruction of Babylon. Friends, even if we might try to pose like we're getting out of Babylon, even if we're trying to, to, to act like we're separating ourselves from Babylon, if our hearts do not rejoice in God's judgment 
of the destruction of Babylon, we will not be able to leave with our bodies and souls out of Babylon. It'll be just a facade. It'll be just a temporary experience. And that's what's amazing about this chapter, that it closes not simply with a command to get out, but it also encourages us to rejoice, to have a hard posture that, that is jubilant. Friends, we would not be alone in rejoicing over, over the destruction of Babylon. We will be joining heaven's attitude of rejoicing over it. So ask yourself, the message of Babylon's doom, does it bring you rejoicing? Or does it cause in you regret, lament? And you find yourself joining the camp of those who lament the loss of Babylon, like the, like the kings of the nations, like the merchants of the nations who have prostituted themselves with Babylon? Is it possible that a lack of joy for the destruction of Babylon may actually be a sign that we secretly still are attached to Babylon? We began this morning service with a, with a verse from 1 John 2, verse 17. I want to read that again and a few verses prior to it because they are a fitting conclusion to what this passage is about. 1 John 15, 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and merciful to warn us of what is coming. You are gracious and merciful to call us out. You are gracious and merciful to, to reveal to us the, the eternal doom of the city that we have invested so much into. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Change our desires so that we may no longer find our ultimate joy in the city of, of this Babylon of this earth. And help us, O oh Lord, to heed the call to get out and to do so with rejoicing, rejoicing in your righteous judgments. It's in the name of Christ that we pray for his glory and honor. Amen.